0: good religion the antithesis of unawareness somebody came up to me once during a conference and asked what about our lady of Fatima what do you think of her when I'm asked questions like that I'm reminded of the story of the time they were taking the statue of our lady of Fatima on an airplane to a pilgrimage for worship and as they were flying over the south of France the plane began to wobble and to shake and it looked like it was going to come apart and the miraculous statue cried out our lady of lords pray for us and all was well wasn't it wonderful one our lady helping another our lady there was also a group of a thousand people who went on a pilgrimage to mexico city to venerate the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe and sat down before the statue in protest because the bishop of the diocese had declared Our Lady of Lords patroness of the diocese they were sure that Our Lady of Guadalupe felt this very much so they were doing the protest in reparation for the offense that's the trouble with religion if you don't watch out. When I speak to Hindus, I tell them, your priests are not going to be happy to hear this. Notice how prudent I am this morning. But God would be much happier, according to Jesus Christ, if you were transformed than if you worshiped. He would be much more pleased by your loving than by your adoration. And when I talk to Muslims, I say, Your ayatollah and your mullahs are not going to be happy to hear this. But God is going to be much more pleased by your being transformed into a loving person than by saying, Lord, Lord. It's infinitely more important that you be waking up. That's spirituality. That's everything. If you have that, you have God. Then you worship in spirit and in truth when you become love, when you are transformed into love. The danger of what religion can do is very nicely brought out in a story told by Cardinal Martini, the Archbishop of Milan. The story has to do with an Italian couple that's getting married. They have an arrangement with the parish priest to have a little reception in the parish courtyard outside the church. But it rained and they couldn't have the reception So they said to the priest, would it be alright if we had the celebration in the church? Now father wasn't one bit happy about having a reception in the church, but they said, we will eat a little cake, sing a little song, drink a little wine, and then go home. So father was persuaded, but being good life-loving Italians, they drank a little wine, sang a little song, then drank a little more wine, and sang some more songs. And within half an hour there was a great celebration going on in the church. And everybody was having a great time, lots of fun and frolic. But Father was all tense, pacing up and down in the sac- sacristy and upset about the noise they were making. The assistant pastor came, comes in and says, I see you're quite tense. Of course I'm tense. Listen to all the noise they're making and in the house of God, for heaven's sake. Well, Father, they really had no place to go. I know that, but do they have to make all the racket? Well, we mustn't forget, must we, Father, that Jesus himself was once present at a wedding. Father says, I know Jesus Christ was present at a wedding banquet. You don't have to tell me Jesus Christ was present at a wedding banquet but they didn't have the blessed sacrament there. You know, there are times like that when the blessed sacrament becomes more important than Jesus Christ, when worship becomes more important than love, when the church becomes more important than life, when God becomes more important than the neighbor, and so it goes on. That's the danger. To my mind, this is what Jesus was evidently calling us to first things first the human being is much more important than the sabbath. doing what i tell you namely becoming what i am indicating to you is much more important than lord lord but your mullah is not going to be happy to hear that i assure you your priests are not going to be happy to hear that not generally so that's what we have been talking about spirituality waking up. And as I told you, it is extremely important if you want to wake up, to go in for what I call self-observation. Be aware of what you are saying. Be aware of what you are doing. Be aware of what you are thinking. Be aware of how you are acting. Be aware of where you are coming from, what your motives are. The unaware life is not worth living where life is a mechanical life it's not human it's programmed conditioned we might as well be a stone a block of wood in the country where I come from you have hundreds of thousands of people living in little hovels in extreme poverty who just managed to survive working all day long hard man will work sleep and then wake up in the morning eat something And start all over again and you sit back and think what a life is that all that life holds in store for them and then you're suddenly jolted into the realization that 99.999% of people here are not much better you can go to the movies drive around in a car you can go for a cruise do you think you're much better off than they are you are just as dead as they are just as much a machine as they are. A slightly bigger one, but a machine nevertheless. That's sad. It's sad to think that people go through life like this. People go through life with fixed ideas. They never change. They're just not aware of what's going on. They might as well be a block of wood or a rock or a talking, walking, thinking machine. That's not human. They are puppets jerked around by all kinds of things. Press a button and you get a reaction. You can almost predict how this person is going to react. If I study a person, I can tell you just how he or she is going to react. With my therapy group, sometimes I write on a piece of paper that so-and-so is going to start the session and -and so-and-so will reply. Do you think that's bad? Well, don't listen to people who say to you, forget yourself go out and love to others don't listen to them they're all wrong the worst thing you can do is forget yourself when you go out to others in the so-called helping attitude this was brought home to me very forcibly many years ago when i did my studies in psychology in chicago we had a course in counseling for priests it was open only to priests who were actually engaged in counseling, and who agreed to bring a taped session to class. There must have been about 20 of us. When it was my turn, I brought a cassette with an interview I had had with a young woman. The instructor put it in a recorder and we all began to listen to it. After five minutes, as was his custom, the instructor stopped the tape and asked, Any comments? Someone said to me, Why did you ask her that question? I said, I'm not aware that I asked her a question. As a matter of fact, I'm quite sure I did not ask any questions. He said, you did. I was quite sure at that time, I was consciously following the method of Carl Rogers, which is person-oriented and non-directive. You don't ask questions and you don't interrupt or give advice. So I was very aware that I mustn't ask questions. Anyway, there was a dispute between us. So the instructor said, why don't we play the tape again? So we played it again, and there, to my horror, was a whopping big question, as tall as the Empire State Building, a huge question. The interesting thing to me was that I had heard that question three times. The first time, presumably when I asked it. The second time, when I listened to the tape in my room because I wanted to take a good tape to class and the third time when I heard it in the classroom but it hadn't registered I wasn't aware that happens frequently in my therapy sessions or in my spiritual direction we tape record the interview and when the client listens to it he or she says you know I didn't really hear what you said during the interview I only heard what you said when I listened to the tape more interestingly I didn't hear what I said during the interview. It's shocking to discover that I'm saying things in a therapy session that I'm not aware of. The full import of them only dawns on me later. Do you call that human? Forget yourself and go out to others, you say. Anyhow, after we listened to the whole tape there in Chicago, the instructor said, are there any comments? One of the priests, a 50 year old man, to whom I had ta- I had taken a liking, he said to me, Tony, I'd like to ask you a personal question. Would that be all right? I said yes. Go ahead. If I don't want to answer it, I won't. He said, Is this woman in the interview pretty? <laughs> you know, honest to goodness, I was at a stage of my development or undevelopment where I didn't notice if someone was good looking or not. It didn't matter to me she was a sheep of christ's flock i was a pastor i dispensed help isn't that great it was the way we were trained so i said to him what's that got to do with it he said because you don't like her do you i said what it hadn't ever struck me that i liked or disliked individuals like most people i had an occasional dislike that would register in consciousness but my attitude was mostly neutral I asked what makes you say that he said the tape we went through the tape again and he said listen to your voice notice how sweet it has become you are irritated aren't you I was and I was only becoming aware of it right there and what, I, and what was I saying to her non-directively I was saying don't come back But I wasn't aware of that. My priest friend said, she's a woman. She will have have picked this up. When are you supposed to meet her next? I said, next Wednesday. He said, my guess is she won't come back. She didn't. I waited one week, but she didn't come back. I waited another week, and she didn't come back. Then I called her. I broke one of my rules don't be the rescuer. I called her and said to her, remember that tape you allowed me to make for the class? It was a great help, because the class pointed out all kinds of things to me. I didn't tell her what. That would make the session somewhat more effective. So if you care to come back, that would make it more effective. She said, alright, I'll come back. She did. The dislike was still there, it hadn't gone away. But it wasn't getting in the way. What you are aware of, you are in control of. What you are not aware of is in control of you. You are always a slave to what you are not aware of. When you are aware of it, you're free from it. It's there, but you're not affected by it. You're not controlled by it. You're not enslaved by it. That's the difference. Awareness awareness, awareness, awareness. What they trained us to do in that course was to become participant observers. To put it somewhat graphically, I'd be talking to you and at the same time I'd be out there watching you and watching me. When I'm listening to you, it's infinitely more important for me to listen to me than to listen to you. Of course, it's important to listen to you, but it's more important that I listen to me Otherwise, I won't be hearing you, or I'll be distorting everything you say. I'll be coming at you from my own conditioning. I'll be reacting to you in all kinds of ways, from my insecurities, from my need to manipulate you, from my desire to succeed, from irritations and feelings that I might not be aware of. So it's frightfully important that I listen to me when I'm listening to you, that's what they were training us to do, obtaining awareness. You don't always have to imagine yourself hovering somewhere in the air. Just to get a rough idea of what I'm talking about, imagine a good driver, driving a car, who's concentrating on what you're saying. In fact, he may even be having an argument with you, but he's perfectly aware of the road signals. The moment anything untoward happens, the moment there's any sound or noise or bump, He'll hear it at once. He'll say, are you sure you closed that door back there? How did he do that? He was aware. He was alert. The focus of his attention was on the conversation or argument, but his awareness was more diffused. He was talking, he was taking in all kinds of things. What I'm advocating here is not concentration. That's not important. Many meditative techniques inculcate concentration, but I'm leery of that. They involve violence and frequently they involve further programming and conditioning. What I would advocate is awareness, which is not the same as concentration at all. Concentration is a spotlight, a floodlight, you're open to anything that comes within the scope of your consciousness. You can be distracted from that, but when you're practicing awareness, you are never distracted. When awareness is turned on, there's never any distraction because you're always aware of whatever happens to be. Say I'm looking at those trees and I'm worrying. Am I distracted? I'm distracted only if I mean to concentrate on the trees. But if I'm aware that I'm worried too, that isn't a distraction at all. Just be aware of where your attention goes. When anything goes awry or anything untoward happens, you will be alerted at once. Something's gone wrong. The moment any negative feeling comes into consciousness, you will be alerted. You're like the driver of the car. I told you that St. Teresa of Avila said God gave her the grace of disidentifying herself with herself. You hear children talk that way, a two-year-old says. Tommy had his breakfast this morning. He doesn't say, I, although he is Tommy. He says, Tommy, in the third person. Mystics feel that way. They have disidentified from themselves, and they are at peace. This was the grace Saint Teresa was talking about. This is the I that the mystic masters of the East are constantly urging people to discover, and those of the West too and you can count Meister Eckhart among them. They are urging people to discover the eye.